as we continue here, our, our second part of uh, the moralism, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 2, I want to look at verse 6, and we're going to read down through verse 17, or 16. Because this is the this is the second group of the moralists, the first group uh, that we looked at truth. Um, I don't do this; they don't do that. God will judge me by what's right, and and He'll see that I am I am a good person. Uh, no, you you don't only be judged by God's truth. You can't you can't stand up to it. You can't you can't measure to the truth of God. So that's what we looked at in our last session here. And so in Lesson 18, we're talking about the, the second part of this, which is going to deal with three different areas of dealing with this, this feeling of being judged by God. And so the second part is justice, impartiality, and then finally uh, we come to the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, the final honest evaluation. So let's read, <clears throat> let's read verse 6, and it says, uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 6, it says, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are seeking and do not obey, who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no impartiality. Verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. This is, this is their attitude, and, and it, it comes through in, in this almost arrogant way. Verse 14, For in Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So there's the, that's the final evaluation so the first part of this we studied in last week was truth, being evaluated based upon truth. The second part here uh, that we're going to look at is justice. So uh, when we think of this, this religions of man, justice is always this thing that comes up. Um, yeah, but... You know, we want justice, and, and God has to be just, and he'll have to see that what I'm doing good needs to be rewarded. That's, that's just justice. And sure, there's bad, and, and God will somehow deal with that. 
but my good certainly outweighs my bad. And this attitude of God has to judge me based upon uh, this justice. I want, I want justice. But my response to that is, are you sure? Um, do you really know what you're saying when you say you want this justice? The, the standard, what's going to be the standard? Your standard? So you write, you're going to write the standard? So we, we'll go all the way back to Cain. We studied Cain in our last session. We talked about uh, the birth of religions. So Cain, Cain said, I don't like that standard. I'm going to create my own standard. But then his standard even brought him to a place where he was ready to kill his brother and then went out and did it. So whose standard are we working with? Um, my standards might not <laughs> work for you. Um, I can excuse myself by writing my own standards. I like coffee. I, I drink coffee. Um, but there might be some people that say, well, it's evil to drink coffee. So, you know, your, your standard says I can't drink coffee. My standard says you can't judge me. So this, this purpose of, of a standard, what standard are we going to use? We talk about the law. Well, he's going to talk about the law. And specifically, in our lesson next week, we're going to talk about legalism and how God deals with the legalistic attitude, hey, I have done everything that God asked. Well, we'll see about that. So let's look at this idea of justice. Verse 6 uh, is the real... It's, it, you can't get past it once you really... Think about what it says. He will render to each one according to their works. In other words, what, according to what they have produced in their life. The word works uh, in the Greek language has to do with, with production. What have you produced? Let's say, well, I've, I've been a pretty good person. Well, let's read. To those... In your notes, if you look at there, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, who give eternal life. Well, okay, that's me. So we all, you know, we all want to write ourselves into verse 7. But then there's other people that we want to write into verse 8. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there'll be wrath and fury. And there may be days when you've got some people that you want specifically want to write into that verse. Okay, that, that moves you from verse 7 directly into verse 8, that very attitude. But this, this according to their works. So, so what works? How many works? How long? So when we think about this whole, this whole realm is it justice that we want? Do we really want God to look at all of our works and make a judgment and hold me to some standard and say, check yes, 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 no, no, yes, no, yes, yes, no. And so back and forth it goes, how many no's do I get? Well, according to God, one. 
one, one failure. You cannot keep God's law. You can't. But there's this attitude, I want justice. When really, when you look at people in the Bible, they didn't come asking for justice. They asked for mercy. That's, that's what they cried out for. Have mercy upon me. Time and again, the people that came to Jesus cried out for mercy, not justice. Because by justice, they wouldn't have gotten anything. Because they were somewhere in their life was failure. And so there was no way that they could pass the justice test. So they cried out for mercy. And we, we think of the great passage from Hebrews chapter 4. And if you want to look there, Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14, 15 uh, is, is such a great statement concerning the person of Jesus and the mercy that God wants to show us. Thank God we're not going to be judged by just strict justice. I wouldn't measure up. Chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, a lot we use this verse when we're talking about approaching God for um, a problem in our life, um, a need, sickness, disease, oppression, um, things that the enemy brings against us. But in the context here, he's actually talking about sin. And we have a high priest that says, yes, I lived the life and I did it without sin. You didn't. But I'm a high priest of what? Grace and mercy. It's a throne of grace that we come to. So come boldly before his throne. So we, we approach him with confidence. Verse 16, draw near to a throne of grace. Thank God it's not the word justice. It's grace. That we may receive not justice, but mercy and the grace to help in our time of need. So it's, it's not us coming and measuring up to some standard so that God will do something for us. And we come to him and he says, hey, I, I lived the life. I had no sin. I did it completely. You know, you, you failed. Sorry. No, it's a throne of grace. Grace being God doing for us what we can't do without using his power for our behalf, doing for us what we cannot do without merit. God doesn't say, yeah, you deserve this. No, it doesn't matter. No demerit. You can't be bad enough that God won't use his grace. For in fact, that's what grace is all about. And not only grace, but then mercy. And mercy throughout the Bible, whether you're talking Old Testament or New Testament, has to do with something that you have done wrong, something that you have failed and you shouldn't 
be honored, helped, delivered, rescued, healed. You shouldn't be saved. But God shows his mercy. He says, I know you did this, but I'm going to take your failure, put it upon my son, and I'm going to give you mercy. And so you walk away, recipient of mercy, over and over. You find this beautiful expression throughout the New Testament. And those who came to Jesus cried out for mercy. So we, we think of this, this idea of, I want justice. I want to be measured up. I can't make the standard. So Paul is not in this passage. I know to some people and some of the commentaries I've read or listened to some teachings, it's almost like Paul is saying this is is almost like salvation by works. It's not. Paul is not confirming salvation by works. He's not establishing that you can be good enough to receive eternal life. I know it sounds like that when you read verse 7. Those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And those, verse 8, who do not will receive wrath and fury. Verse 9 then backs it up, but it starts backwards. There will be tribulation and distress for how many? Every human being, for every man, for everyone who does evil. I highlighted that. Everyone who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone, everyone who does good, Jew first and also the Greek. So for everyone who does evil, for everyone who does good. Now here's the thing. Does good for how many times? In the Greek language, it's a, it's a present tense verb, so it has to do with a life of evil. Who, who do evil, in a sense, throughout their life. And so people say, well, you know, this is only for people who consistently do evil, and there's no good in them. Well, I, I don't know that there's anybody who there's no good in them at all. But this is someone who, it, it appears, they're always doing evil. But then we got the other one, who it appears says, for everyone who does good. But if that phrase, always does evil, means this is the consistence of their life, what about this always does good? Always. For everyone who always does good. How many mistakes do you get? How many, how many things you have to do in order to, in a sense, qualify for doing evil? One, two, three, five? This certain ones, you can go down the line again, choosing what it is that, that is going to knock you out of the, of the, of the realm of good. You, you can't do that. I want justice. Everyone who does good consistently through their life, and everyone who does evil consistently through their life. 
I don't, I don't fit either category. But if I had to fall into a category, I'd have to fall into the does evil. As a consistent thing in our lives, we don't do good. We do good when it helps us. Oh, um, isn't that what they mean by verse 8? Self-seeking? <laughs> so I'll do good because it's beneficial to me. It, it helps me. I'll do good because I get some reward for it. I'll do good because I, I want the praise of men. That's all self-seeking. And you receive the glory and honor from people, but not from God. So let's just back up and, and look at this whole thing. According to their works. According to their works. I do not want to be judged according to my works. Because... And here's, here's the problem. We go on down, and we'll talk more about this in a couple lessons coming up, but Romans chapter 3, verse 9, second part of it. Romans 3, verse 9, it's there in your notes on page 2. It says, For we have already charged, presented, that all, I forgot to underline all, all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Well, no, I do some good. Uh, the Jews do some good. Surely, surely these people have done some good, but they haven't consistently through their life done good. There has been evil. And so you want to be judged according to your works. It says, verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, verse 11, no one seeks for God, verse 12. All have turned aside. Together, all together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Well, I, there, there's some people that seek for God, not in a consistent basis and seeking for God for yourself. You say, well, but, but we have, we, we're, we're born again. We came to Jesus Christ. We believed in him. Yeah, that's, that's removed you from all of this. See, everything we're talking about here, you have not seen the mention of Jesus Christ yet. <clears throat> not once. In chapter 2, you don't see the name of Jesus Christ till we get to the end of verse 16. And so... In that whole section in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and on. So, since the second half of chapter 1 of Romans, you have not seen the name of Jesus Christ. Because it's not about him, it's about you. And you say, well, but if I do good all of my life, I will get... But it's not if I do good one time. No, you're going to be judged. What does it say? According to your, you want justice? That's justice. That's God saying, this is my standard. You failed. And so this will be 
the issue, and we'll see this as he finally comes down to the point in verse 16. So now we move into another section, and it's introduced with the phrase, God shows no partiality. And so we want to be judged on the basis of truth. Well, I can't make it because I can't, I, I can't pass the test. Did you do that? My mom would say. Did you do that? No, I did, but I'm not going to tell you that. Well, but God knows. See, you're not going to get by with it because God knows. You want to be judged by justice? We've just talked about that. No, you, you will not measure up. You cannot do good consistently through your life. You can have an occasion of good. You can do an example of good, but consistently, no, you're going to fail. And one failure is all you need. No one does good. But you say, well, God's going to judge us on impartiality. It's, you know, he, he, he won't look more at me than he's looking at someone else. Uh, the Jews live under the law. I don't have the law. You know, so God's going God's to help us. He's going to deal with our issues because well, he's, he's, he's not going to hold us up to any kind of standard. It's, that would God be being partial. That would be God having exclusive uh, uh, entrance. You have to pass some kind of, of perfect test. Yeah, yeah you, we, we just read it. Uh, Romans chapter 3, no one does good. So we just start out with verse 12. God shows no impartiality. So look at verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. That's Gentiles. That's anybody who's not a Jew. And what's the word that's in there for how many? All who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. They didn't have the law and they sinned and they're going to be judged and they're going to perish. What about the Jews? God's impartial, right? And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And you know what? They'll perish too because no one can keep the law. Verse 13. Now he goes into this back and forth argument. It and I don't want it to get confusing, but what I did is I highlighted the phrases, the law, because the law he's talking about here is the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, which is a, a it's like a, a table of contents, a summary of everything that's demanded uh, in the law. And so he says, for it is not the hearers of the law, Jews, who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So it's not just because you're Jewish that you get in, and we're going to talk more about that in our next session on legalism, but it's not just because you're Jewish, it's because you did the law. It's just the doers of the law who are justified. But, but here's the thing. When Gentiles who do not have the law, so people who weren't Jewish, they didn't have the law, but by nature do what the law requires, they have this internal law 
it's written on the inside. Murder is wrong in every culture, in every society. Now, there can be justifications that they'll say, yeah, but we can, we can kill this one person you know, for this or for that reason. Yes, they have, they have those, and usually it's based on some religious um, foundation. But murder is wrong. Stealing is wrong. Um, taking another person's wife or husband is wrong. Um, abusing children. Lying. These are, they're, they're wrong in almost every culture and every religion that you want to look at. It's, it's internal. It's just wrong. And, and we know that. God wrote those in his Decalogue, not only the Decalogue, but the 613 commandments that are in the law. God wrote all those things, and, and some of those were written just so the Jews would be different than all the rest of humanity, pointing them to the Christ. But the moral laws that were written are just about known for almost every society. It's just, it's just wrong. Why? The Gentiles do without the law. So he, he says that for Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. So the fact that they don't do it says, I know it's wrong. They show that the work of the law is written on the hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, I'm guilty, with their conflicting thoughts, accuse or even excusing them. <laughs> so okay, I'm wrong, and uh, this is my judgment. I'm just wrong, and I admit it. Or they excuse, well, but I had this, and you don't understand, and you got to look at the situation and all those kinds of things. You know, why did you lie? Well, because if I told my mom the truth, it would have been a bigger problem and it would have really hurt her to know what I'd done, you know. And so, you know, I was really sparing her by lying to her. Yeah, that, that works. Yeah, sure. You know, and we, we can try to do that in our religion or in our philosophies or in our intellectualism, um, the ways that we we try to excuse or else we just openly say, yeah, I'm guilty. That's it. And I can't stop myself. And so you have admitted that this is something that's working on the inside of you. And so this, this thing without the law and under the law. I'm going to take us to another passage, and it's there in your notes, Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 2 brings up this same, um, this same division the Gentiles and the Jews, um, though mostly here he's talking to the Gentiles because the, Galatians, the Ephesians he's writing to were mostly um, Gentile. And so he says, therefore, remember, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, it's down toward the bottom of your page 2, therefore remember that, when at, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, without the law, that's Gentiles who are without the law, right? called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, those who are under the law, Jews, 
which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope without God. Boy, that's a, (laughs) that is a division. And so, say, well, the Jews are lucky, they got in. Well, we'll talk about that more in our next session on legalism. But, no, the Jews didn't get off. The Jews had to admit that they were sinners, lay their hand on a sacrifice, and say, I sinned, I need to die, but this substitute is dying for me, paying with his blood. And that substitute ultimately was their Messiah, the Christ Jesus. But as Gentiles, you're separated from that. You, you, as a Gentile, you couldn't get into the altar. You couldn't approach the altar. You, you had no access. So you were separated. You had no access to the Messiah and to the Christ. In a, in a sense, and we're going to talk about this, he brings it up in chapter 3, um, Jesus came to the Jews. The Messiah came to the Jews. He was given to them. Ultimately, yes, to the world, because the Messiah came to the world, but his first coming was to the Jews, to the Jew first. And so then through the Jews, it was to spread to the others. So what he says here is you were separated. You had no access to the Messiah. You had no opportunity. The altar was in there. The substitute was in there. But you couldn't get to it because you were a Gentile. You couldn't get past the first stage. Separated from the Messiah. The next point, alienated. The Gentiles had no participation in the nation of Israel. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You didn't belong. Now, could could other Gentiles, could other nations, Moabites, Philistines even, uh, could could they come in, Egyptians? Uh, Yeah. But they had to go through a ritual, in a sense, to become a Jew. Their nationality never changed. They were still whatever. It's just that they had now come to Judaism as a religion. And so they could come, but you had to become Jewish. So a Gentile was alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You had no part in all of those blessings that God pronounced upon the nation of Israel you didn't belong. And so you didn't have a right. So let's look then, top of the next page, strangers to the covenants of promise. You were not only separated and alienated, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. These covenants were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you don't belong. You don't get those, except for us through Jesus Christ. But That's a whole other subject that's going to come up as we go, chapter 4. But these these promises, the the covenants that God made with the nation of Israel, 
you don't have any access unless you become a Jew. So you had to go through a rite and become a proselyte. And so you could have access, but you had to become a Jew first. The next very statement is one of the saddest, having no hope. Your status left you with no hope. The Gentiles, or the Jews, they sinned, they knew they sinned, but they had a hope. They had a hope of a Messiah that would come, a hope in a Redeemer. They had a hope that God would restore their nation. They had a hope that God would bring forth his, his ultimate millennial kingdom um, that, of God ruling upon the earth, that they would be participants. They had a hope, but as Gentiles, you have no hope. Why? Because you're, you're separated. You can't get into the place where the hope is. And so this in a sense, shut you out without hope. And then finally, <laughs> without hope is bad enough, but how about this one? Without God. Without God. Their gods were actually no gods. God said, you shall have no other God before me. That doesn't mean ahead of me that means in my presence there is no other god i am the only one whatever it is that you're worshiping is just an imagination you carved a statue you you made a religion you established your own way cain but your god is no god and and so you're left without god you say no, the Gentiles, Gentiles had multitudes of God. In fact, early Christians were called atheists. Do you know that? Early Christians were the atheists. The Romans uh, accused them. That was one of the things that the Romans hated about the Christians. They said they are atheists. In other words, they don't believe in all of our gods. They don't accept our gods. And we're losing battles because there's Christians among the soldiers. And so there was several emperors, Valerian, I believe, was one of them that purged the army of anyone who was a Christian because it was their fault that they were losing battles. Their gods were not pleased. The Romans had multitudes of gods, and if they didn't have enough, uh, when they conquered a land and they conquered other people, they brought those gods in and <laughs> just mixed it all in. But they were actually... No gods, because there's only one God and his son, Jesus Christ, and he is the only access that we have. So as we look at this, yeah, but they had all these things, but the Gentiles lived by these internal laws. What was going on? It, here's the point. The Jews could not keep the law, so they had to proclaim, in a sense, that they died. That's what that sacrifice. I deserve to die. That Lamb on the altar is me, dead, bleeding, burned. That's me. That was identifying with the sacrifice. So the Jews had to die to the law. Gentiles couldn't even get in. They didn't have they had no right. They had behavior. They did some of the things that the law demanded. They had behavior, but they didn't have access to the full law, so they could not 
be accepted. Even if a Gentile did good, it, it wasn't enough. You cannot do enough good for God to judge you according to your works. So both Jew and Gentile could do the things in the law, but they consistently broke the law. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified. By the deeds of the law no one is justified. For by the law is the knowledge, the purpose of the law was to point out your sin. And the Gentiles had no access to that. Galatians 2.16 says basically the same thing, just in a little bit longer uh, manner. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And so this is, this is what God has established for us. That God wants us to understand that we can't do enough to be accepted. In my notes, I, I was thinking, even as I was writing this, I thought about the demoniac of Gadara who came running to Jesus Here's this man filled with a legion of demons. And this legion is, is there. But this man drags this demon literally to the feet of Jesus. He, the legion didn't want to come. He, he wasn't even happy to run the other way. He didn't want to be there. But the man drugged this demon to the feet of Jesus falling down before him. Yeah, the demon cried out against Jesus, but it, the man was there. Jesus cast the demon out, and the man was there before him. And he wept before the Lord, and he was restored, and Jesus accepted this man into uh, his presence. That, that's, it's such a beautiful story that, that man knew that it's something I can't, do this enough. I need someone. And so, as we look at the, quote, impartiality of God, Jew, Gentile, nobody measures up. Nobody can do good. Nobody can do it right. Nobody can fulfill all these things. Abel? Abel did? No, he didn't. Abel did what? He offered a sacrifice. The only reason Abel was accepted was because he made a sacrifice, saying, that is me. I should die. But God has made a way his Messiah, his Christ, the substitute. Cain was not accepted because he created his own way. And God was impartial. If you do what is right, you will be accepted. God would have accepted Cain if he had done what was right. He had to acknowledge that he needed a savior, a substitute. And the work of his hands was not a substitute. The production of the earth was not a substitute. God had cursed the earth. And so whatever he was doing could not produce enough 
to be accepted. And God was, yes, impartial. Abel had to offer a sacrifice. Cain refused to offer a sacrifice. But they were both had the opportunity to be accepted. The fourth principle of judgment of of being in right standing with God, of of how we can attain this right standing with God, the the final one is one little partial sentence. It's not even a full sentence. One little clause at the end of this passage, verse 16, it says, And on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This whole thing started out, going back up to verse 6, it started out that we will be judged according to our works. And now down at finally at verse 16, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges according to Christ Jesus. See, this is the first time that the name of Jesus has entered in since Paul started through this this grouping of men finding a way to right standing, starting in 118, now all the way down through verse 16. How are we going to come into this relationship of righteousness with God? My works won't do it. Ignoring God won't get me there being judged by truth, justice, or impartiality will not produce for me. I cannot attain to this place but Christ Jesus. See, that's the solution. And on that day, there is coming a day when we will be held accountable before God. But what's going to make the difference? Faith in Jesus Christ. It's what we have believed, not what we have done. We are saved by faith, not by works, lest we boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9. So that no one can boast about what he's done. Our salvation is by grace through faith, as God has established in his word. I need something. I can't do it. I cannot do it. I will not measure up. I am going to be judged by Christ Jesus. I'm going to be not that not that that means he's going to sit there and judge. It means I'm going to be judged according to him. His standard. I, I <laughs> wow. I I can't get there. So what are we going to do with Jesus? Because this is how we're going to be judged. So I, I, I put four little things down here. We can respect him. People say, well, I, I respect Jesus, um, but I don't think he's a savior. You respect him, but you don't think he's the savior? If you respected him, you'd do what he said. No, you don't respect him. You don't accept him. You want to measure yourself by him? So you think, well, you know, he did good, I do good. You know, people read the Gospels and they read the life of Jesus for what they want to see in it, not what it says. You want to measure yourself by him, you're going to fail. That that is a major failure. You can't come close 
to his character, to the works that he did, or to the consecration he had before God. Okay, so so I'll just reject him. I I don't believe this Jesus stuff. I don't believe it. People say that's I, I, I don't accept it. I've got my own way to God. You're back to Cain. You're right back where Cain was. I don't want that sacrifice. I want my own way. And you can reject him, but you will find that you are the one who is rejected. Or you can believe him. And that's where we find our acceptance. We believe him. We love him. That's our salvation. I cannot live up to the standard of his life. I can accept him and live in him, but I will never live up to the standard of his life. I need him as my savior, not just my model. And so I put down here a number of references that talk about this this measure of Christ Jesus. John 3.16, we all know, but verse 17 is, is often where we stop. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to condemn us, or, or we would never, we'd never measure up. But he came in order that the world might be saved through him. He came to die for us so that we could be saved, not coming to judge us. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You're already condemned. If you believe, you get out of it. And we'll see that at verse 36 in John 3, 36. What happens? When we believe, we were under condemnation. When we believe, we are no longer condemned. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God will remain upon him. I wanted to read John chapter 5 because Jesus brings this back to the issue of judgment. So John chapter 5, verses 21 to 29 John 5:21 Jesus here talking about again judgment and faith in him and believing in him. Uh, the passage is much longer but I'm just going to start in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. I'm not talking about physical life. We're talking about spiritual life, eternal life. The Father gives life And the Son gives life to whom He will. Who does He want to? The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So there's going to be the one who is going to stand as the judge. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. If you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. You say, I honor the Father, then you have to honor His Son. There there is no alternative Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Believing the one who sent me means I'm believing what he said. I'm believing what he commanded. And he commanded that I believe in his son. He does, <clears throat> and this one who believes the one who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, listen to this phrase, but has passed from death to life. To believe in Jesus Christ, to believe what God said through his son, what God did in sending his son is to pass from death to life. All mankind is under condemnation, but when you believe in the Son, you pass from death to life. Not based upon your works, not based upon what you have done, not according to the things that you have said, done, accomplished, none of that. You pass from death to life. Wow, that's beautiful. And so this is the conclusion that we find in faith in Him. And then, of course, we read Revelation chapter 20. And Revelation 20 brings us to this, this final conclusion of what Paul means when you are judged according to my gospel. Now, now, when Paul says according to my gospel, what he's talking about is the gospel that I am presenting to you. This is the gospel that God has given to me. It is the gospel of God, and I am presenting it to you. Paul's gospel is no different than Peter's gospel, than James' gospel, than John's gospel. It's just that this is the purpose and the the reason that Paul is writing this long letter to the Romans is to explain what he means by the gospel of God. This is, this is the gospel I present, therefore it's my gospel. All right. But when you come to this final statement, when the hearts of men, when all mankind is judged by Christ Jesus, this is the final statement. This is the final conclusion. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and then another book was opened. Notice there were books, and then a book, which is the book of life. So the singular book is the book of life. The other books, books of works. We'll see that in a minute. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, not the book, according to what they had done. That's that same according to their works that we found back in Romans chapter 2 and verse 6. According to what they have done, according to what you have done. This is according to what they have done. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So here is that truth, justice, impartiality. You're not going to measure up. So you're going to be held accountable to one thing. Because your works won't get you there. And that one thing is the book of life. The question is, is your name in the book of life? The Bible tells us that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we have our name written and sealed 
in the book of life. What a beautiful picture that we have here. So those who are in the book of life, they don't stand before this place of judgment. It is only those who are not in the book of life. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, that's not a happy place to end a message, but it's still the truth because moralism will not bring you into a place of right standing with God. It has to be faith in Jesus Christ, which is what Paul is going to develop as he continues through the rest of chapter 2, legalism, but then especially into 3 and 4, which I call gracism. All right, hedonism will not bring you into right standing. Moralism, legalism, no, none of those will bring you into right standing with God. Graceism, believing and accepting the grace of God that works in our life, that is how we attain to this glorious eternal life, to what we refer to as being saved. And so finally, let's look just down here at the bottom. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 26. Again, we'll expound more on this in a coming lesson. But it says, But now the righteousness that has been demonstrated by God. So the righteousness of God, what God has demonstrated, has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So there is a righteousness of God that is apart from the law. It's not what the law demanded. It's something that is separate. What is that? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And notice the, the, the compounding. It is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Paul uses the word faith twice. Those who believe, those who have faith. Those who have, have believed have the faith in Jesus Christ. And so this this compounding of the idea of faith means you must believe. Abel believed. Cain did not. Cain created a religion. Cain was not accepted. Why was Abel accepted? Hebrews chapter 11 says his sacrifice was received because or accepted because it was offered by faith. <clears throat> and so this is how God wants us to uh, to attain to these things. And, and notice what it says at the end of that statement, the righteousness of God through faith in, in Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. We could say for there is no partiality. God, God isn't making a judgment. Anyone can be in this. Jew, Gentile. Greek, barbarian, wise, unwise. Roman, anything else, no matter who you are. Race, ethnic background, character, age, gender, doesn't matter. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I, I, I say this always every time I come to this verse. Do not read verse 23 to people. Don't quote it to people unless you're also going to quote verse 24. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but are justified by His grace as a gift, or justified by grace freely 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's a big word, propitiation, but it simply means God took out all of his wrath. He released all of his wrath onto his son instead of upon you. That is, it's one of the words for mercy. It's, it is God saying, God didn't just say, okay, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not angry anymore. No, he executed all of his wrath upon his son. That's what propitiation means. By the blood of his son. <clears throat> Why did God do this? End of our statements. This was to show God's righteousness. See, see all that stuff from chapter 2, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 15, is about your righteousness. It's about what you can do. It's how you can measure up according to your works. But it's not your righteousness that will save you. It's God's righteousness. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The ones who are righteous shall live by faith. That's the statement made in chapter 1, verse 17. And Paul has concluded that, and he does conclude it here. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over the former sins. God, <clears throat> God set aside all of your sins, didn't judge you until he had sent his son. And then he took all of his judgment against our sin and placed it upon him. And it was to show his righteousness at the present time, <clears throat> pardon me, so that he might be just, he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Excuse me, I forgot to take a drink. <clears throat> all right, sorry. So, as we bring this this section to conclusion, it's not about your righteousness. It's his. And it's about Christ Jesus. So this is, <clears throat> this is how we find our place of right standing with God. Not me. In him. And we'll talk more about what it means to be in Christ as we continue in our notes and our lessons in the coming weeks. So next week, we'll talk about legalism about how legalism applies and how legalism is not enough to get you into the place of eternal life amen all right thank you and that ends our lesson